Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I don't know if there's ever that feeling of where you go, I've made it, because at every step of the journey, you're, you, you hit a kind of milestone and you go, this is amazing. And then a minute later, you feel horrible because you go, now I've got to prove myself again. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to writer Mark Boutros. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is now made in association with The Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video, one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. Mark is an Emmy International nominated writer which in my eyes deems him, as we talk about in the uh, podcast, a proper writer. He co-wrote a one-off comedy drama about Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, uh, which was broadcast on Sky Arts, and uh, that was what earned him the the Emmy uh, nomination. Mark has had his scripts commissioned and optioned from a whole host of production companies. His original sitcom, Broken Beth was a Silver Award winner at the 2016 Page International Screenwriting Awards in the TV comedy pilot category. And he has recently developed a new live action series idea with CBBC and he's written on Ramesh Raghunathan's The Reluctant Landlord Series 2 for Sky. And he's currently writing a new sitcom for CBBC plus a development pilot for Studio 71. In addition to writing... Mark has also worked as a producer and script editor in comedy entertainment on shows such as 8 Out of 10 Cats and Through the Keyhole. In addition to all this, Mark also mentors students at Central School of Speech and Drama. So what with Mark being a proper writer, there was plenty I wanted to pick his brains on. 
We talk about Mark's transition from working in TV as an edit producer to becoming a scripted TV writer and how long that journey took and, and what it was like trying to get people in the industry that he knew to take him seriously as a writer. Mark talks about his decision to go all in on his writing. Mark describes the hustle of trying to transition into a full-time writer by sending scripts to producers, entering writing competitions and trying to get an agent. He says his transition from sort of working in TV on the production side of things to then becoming a proper writer really began in 2004. And he said has only just sort of come to a place where he would describe himself as a full-time writer. Mark describes experience of writing on Ramesh Raghunathan's uh, Reluctant Landlord and this idea of dealing with self-sabotage and, and he explains how he got past it. He talks about the pressure of having to say something and contributing in a writer's room where you're sort of surrounded by people you think are just brilliant and, and sharp and how it took him a few hours to warm up and then eventually start contributing. Mark explains that as soon as you get something you want, that's when the pressure kicks in. We talk about imposter syndrome and how it only really exists when it's about something you care about, which is annoying. Mark describes his writing process on his own projects and how the story always begins with developing character. He breaks down his daily routine and explains the questionnaire that he creates for all his characters. We talk about why Mark doesn't like to watch too much comedy TV shows and particularly TV shows that everyone is talking about, but enjoys a good documentary, as do I. He says that watching documentaries often give him ideas for characters for his writing. Mark explains how doing the artist's way helped him develop his writing and why he prefers writing on his own rather than co-writing with someone else. He also describes the different ways that he collaborates with comedians when he's writing on a project or sitcom with them. He explains why he loves researching and loads more. This is a great episode if you are a writer or an aspiring writer and you want to get a, an insight into how what I describe uh, Mark as is a proper writer, how a proper writer goes about their craft. So without further ado, over to Mark. Perfect. Have you been very productive? I feel like you have been productive during this period. I know you've been busy, haven't you, with work? Yeah, um, I have been busy. It's been an odd time. Like, I've not been creatively very productive. Like, I've not done any of my own original pieces of work, but I've been working on other projects. So I've had, um, I've been working for CBBC on a new sitcom. So that episode should be getting filmed in October. It was meant to be June, but obviously been delayed because of everything. I'm also writing a pilot for CBBC. Um, I'm also mentoring students. So I had seven of them finishing their projects and now I've got another four from the Central School of Speech and Drama. And I've also got a day job. I've been working at a tech company that specializes in health. I joined them two weeks before a pandemic and it was really easy. And then it got suddenly very, very busy. So I'm fortunate, but also it's very stressful and I'm finding it difficult to kind of I think I'm just managing it by doing everything to a mediocre standard at the moment. And that's the, that's the, the hard bit, but yeah, productivity. I'm productive in the sense I have to do stuff. Am I proud of everything I'm doing? I'm, I'm making it through is what I'm kind of trying to do during, during all this coronavirus stuff is I'm just trying to get through it and not get fired essentially. <laughs> I think that is a realistic approach. Yeah. Like yeah. my, my, my sort of whole attitude at the beginning is like, I'm going to create the equivalent of my Mona Lisa. <laughs> this is going to be the time where I create a big project. 
first three, four weeks, I was all in. And then yeah. just, I couldn't maintain it. I couldn't yeah. make consistency. And, and I've spoken to a lot of people and just sort of like it just comes in waves, you know, where you're just like, oh, I cannot, I do not have the energy for this today. But I guess it's, it's slightly different with you if you, you know, you've got paid gigs that you have to, you've got yeah. a deadline for and you have to hand in drafts by a certain date. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, you know, I'm, I obviously, I'm not pleased there's a pandemic. It's horrible. However, my dream situation is if someone was to tell me, you stay home, here's some government cash, do whatever you want. I'm like, amazing. But that hasn't happened because I've been busy doing all this other stuff. But, you know, I think there was a pressure at the beginning of this, which was, you know, people going, I'm going to learn a language. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you kind of felt, I started to feel like if I don't do something, you know, productive for myself during this, then I've, I've failed during lockdown. But as well, it's totally fine to do nothing and just get through it because it's, it's pretty weird. And sort of for me, carrying on as normal, I get up, I start work is, and then it doesn't feel like you ever start or finish the day properly. Um, you're just kind of going, I want to, I want to just survive through this thing and come out of it feeling a little bit better about myself. Not necessarily like I've leveled up on 50 different things and can kind of show off to all my mates. Like, you know, exercise has taken a massive hit. If anything, I don't know how you're finding it. You're quite good at your fitness stuff. aren't you? Yeah. For me, it's just something I have to do every day just because yeah. otherwise I just feel like I just get a bit of brain fog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you find it's better to do it in the morning or the evening? Like, do you have a routine? I always like to do it in the morning, first thing. Yeah. Just get it out of the way with, if I can. I was going through a period again at the beginning when I was all guns blazing. I was doing two workouts a day, one in the early morning, one in the afternoon. That quickly, that quickly, I quickly fed off the wagon there. But You just get tired or bored? Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what I like I my exercise is football or swimming two things that are not possible right now and like I, I tried to get into running but I can't I can't do it I, I never hit this this place that a lot of runners talk about where it's just like this moment of zen where running is just lovely for me it's all I'm thinking about is how much I don't want to be running all the other stuff I've got to do when I get back so how can I cut this run short um, so it's just it's never been a successful thing for me I tried yoga. I did some of that this morning, but I've been rubbish. I've ma mainly done maybe one or two bits of exercise a week. I did get sucked into a Facebook ad for an elastic band you wrap around your head and it has a piece of elastic and a ball on the end that you can kind of punch. Oh, yeah. to do. And it hasn't arrived. I ordered it in May. I chased them to say it's been, it was meant to be here last week. And all they did was send me an email from the CEO saying in these troubled times, we need to stick together. <laughs> it's the worst condescending <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thing with my yoga class. I messaged them at the beginning of the pandemic. I'd like to put my membership on hold. And he said, yeah, message me back. Same thing, like a copy and paste job. We really need to get together and support local businesses. Yeah, I need to support myself, mate. Yeah, well, what about, I want to go and punch something outside. What do I do with this? And you feel guilty. So I don't know where it is. I don't know when it'll arrive. But I'm never going to use that thing now because the whole point of it was for when it was sunny during lockdown. So it'll probably be here by winter and then rot in the corner somewhere. Oh, yeah, but yeah, I found productivity has been, it's been up and down. Like I'm not, but I'm not giving myself any grief about it. Are you, you are what I would call a, you're a proper writer. Like, <laughs> you know, there's some yeah. people that I will, some people that, you know, I, I speak to on the podcast and they do some acting or some writing or some directing. 
but you are you're a professional writer like you've write from the off you've been you've been writing for years for for tv did you did you start off as a gag writer no i started off on production as a like runner assistant producer associate producer producer edit producer and i was always writing scripts like i had um i had the odd stint gag writing on shows okay. like i did i did a day on celeb juice did they use the material i don't know um i did a day on a pilot that didn't make it i did sketch writing for a disney show so i had little stints of it but i was always into narrative like i'm not I wouldn't say I'm a gag writer. I'm not quick enough. Like some of them, they are phenomenal. The rate at which they generate these jokes, like on eight out of 10 cats, they come up with pages and pages and pages. They're phenomenal. Um, so I was always leaning into narrative, but to do that, it's like, it's like you're inventing something. You have to have the thing to try and sell. So I was always doing that on the side of working on production in, you know, script editor, producer, edit producer capacity, and occasionally trying to slip stuff in. I did fake reaction on ITV too as well. I did gags on that. Um, but it was always something where I felt a little bit like this is me. This is just for the title of writing. This isn't the kind of writing that makes me feel comfortable or I feel like I'm, I'm like, it's just, I'm not, I'm not that guy. Uh, it's much easier for me to write gags within a narrative than come up with a funny joke for a uh, comedian or presenter to say on screen. Yeah. Cause we met, I think we met when you were, you were you were an edit producer then yeah and i remember that you were you were making the transition to become sort of like more of a long-form writer at that time yeah i think then you went and did a master's didn't you yeah yeah i kind of because because tv production was sort of plan b you know if i never make it in writing at least i've got a career in that world somewhere but then the hours got a bit silly you do quite long hours on on production so I went, right, I'm off to do a master's. And they tried to pull me back in. Like I didn't do it the first time around. Then I, a year later, I went, no, I'm done. I'm going. So I moved to Norwich, uh, went and did my master's there. Yeah. yeah. And best decision I ever made. Because the thing is, when you, you, like, I don't know, you know, it's lovely for you to call me a proper writer, but it's, you never feel like you are because I think you get so used to rejection. And right. it's a culture of just rejection constantly and feedback and you're just knackered. So I never ever took the opportunity to invest in myself in a way. I was always investing in the backup plan. So I went, right, I'm off to do the masters. I'm good. You know, a few life events made me go, just what am I wasting my time for? Um, so I went and did it, coughed up the money and went and lived in Norwich and it was amazing. Um, I did waste a lot of it because it was back when I drank. Um, but I still got so much out of it and met other writers and went, I understand this a bit better now. I reckon I could do it and then pursued it from there. So do you think it's essential for anyone that wants to pursue the career as a writer to, to do something similar and do a, a, a master's or a degree in, in writing or creative writing? Um, I think do what, do what helps you learn a bit more. For me, I needed it because I needed to buy myself some time. For me, it bought me a year in a structured environment where I would meet other writers and I'd learn a bit more of my craft. Like you can learn a lot of this stuff from, from books, to be honest, and from other writers. And some people just have a knack for learning as they go, whereas I'm a bit thicker, so it took me a bit longer. So I'd say, if you have an itch to do something and you think you need to learn a little bit more, definitely do it. But with writing, the main thing to do is keep writing. You know, you've just got to keep writing and getting better at it because I don't know about you, the first script I ever wrote was utterly awful. I was sort of fresh out of uni and went, I'll write one set in Halls of Residence. No one's ever done that. It's pretty much every first script of anyone who leaves uni. 
Um, and then it was obviously garbage, but I got better and better. So I'd say, you know, if, if you think you need it to, to give, buy yourself some time, do it. Absolutely. And if you think you lack a bit of knowledge and want to just get the opinions of people who've done it or are doing it, then do that as well. But I know a lot of people who are successful writers without ever having done a course, but I needed it. So, you know, yeah, yeah I think it's a wise thing to do. If I had, if I had my time again, <laughs> I probably would have done something similar, but um, I took a bit more of a, a, a sort of undisciplined or not necessarily planned approach. Um, so talk to me then about the transition from, yeah. you know, you, you had this sort of like, cause you were doing well, you know, as this, as a, as, as an edit producer and TV, you're working on these big shows. Then you go and do, you go and do the course. How then, I know you, you, you briefly touched upon it in terms of the rejection, how challenging yeah. is it then to establish your career as what I deem a proper writer <laughs> to, to sort of, you know, start getting your scripts out there and then to get representation. Talk to yeah. me about that. I basically, it was, it's, it's difficult. You know, there's a lot of time where you're just skint. I was, I went and I straight after Norwich at the age of, I think, 30 when I came back from my masters straight back to mum and dad's and I was like right I'm gonna just write solidly so I wrote script after script after script I would send them to producers because I knew them from my time working in telly I was lucky that some people moved sideways right now it's a bit more of a closed door where they say no unsolicited material so it has to come from an agent so I did that I entered some competitions um, one of my scripts won a competition and that's when I started pushing agents going, I've had a script, you know, I, I had a script optioned. Um, and all of this is making no money, you know, getting something optioned. It was 500 quid for six months. And that's something I'd spent two months working on already. So if you're making 500 quid every two months, you're shafted. Um, so, and that's when I approached more, people started to take me seriously because when you work in an industry and you leave it to come back as something different, people do still see you as what you were. Yeah. So I was there going, I'm writing and no one really, no one understood that. So the transition was quite difficult in that sense, but I just did my own sort of hustling on the side going, I'm going to message this producer, this producer, this producer who I know, get feedback, see if they like it. And people were receptive. You know, some people said, this is terrible. Others said, you're actually good at this. And I was like, yeah, I've been trying to do this for six years already. Um, and then I started approaching agents and I got rejected by loads of them as well. And then eventually uh, got an agent through a mate. So nepotism helped me in that sense. But that agent also loved the script. And that, I, I, you know, it sort of comes at times when, as a writer, you always need some sort of validation that you are a proper writer in a way. And getting an agent helped me to see that. I was like, okay, so someone clearly backs me other than just me and my deluded mind. I am a proper writer. And then from there, I kept generating scripts and he'd get me some work. And then the transition felt more complete, but I was still taking the odd freelance gig on production to pay the bills because it takes a while for that, you know, regular work. Like if you get one script a year, that's not sustainable. If you get three, then you go, right, I can make a living. Um, so it's, you know, it, I, I still do other work because just writing scripts is just too unpredictable at the moment. But yeah, and then the transition felt complete. But I still juggle writing with working at tech companies, writing chatbots, um, copywriting, the teaching, and TV production. Because I, you know, it's lucky that in a freelance world, you can go, well, I've got three weeks work here. I can work a script around that. 
um, and it keeps the bills coming in so that I don't feel that pressure of, I need to keep generating, I need to keep generating because that's the work. Yeah. Because yeah. you're putting so much pressure on yourself. And when you put that, yeah. that much pressure on yourself, I, I don't know about you, but I just find you're not really in a very creative space. No, you're just doing it. I find that that's when you write something that's just functional. You're like, this works. I'll send it around because you're just rushing to get something out there instead of like now I can sit back and go, I'm going to take my time writing this thing. I'm going to make sure it's, I'm as happy as I can be with it before I send it off rather than going, here's a complete story. Off you go and then wait for the rejections to roll in. Um, so I'd say the transition is relatively complete now. I'm doing less of the production side and more of the, the writing now. But yeah, it's taken... 2004 till now <laughs> did you did you ever think it was going to take that long to for the transition to be complete uh, no i was i was an no i was an arrogant idiot i was like oh, i was just going to take i'll write my first script and someone will go this is amazing you're hilarious here's some money and then that reality bit relatively quickly uh but now i expect if i am to ever write 100 percent full-time i'm 38 now i reckon by 42 probably I might be able to do that. I'm, you know, I'm writing on a lot of other people's things. Um, and that's kind of, that's how I'm building my career at the moment, building those relationships. And then people are going to send me an original thing when you have it. Uh, when I have time to do it, that's what I'll do. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's ever that feeling of where you go, I've made it because at every step of the journey, you're, you, you hit a kind of milestone and you go, this is amazing. And then a minute later, you feel horrible because you go, now I've got to prove myself again. Like um, it happened with um, when I, I got a gig on the reluctant landlord, Ramesh Ranganathan's series two. And like I was working at Google at the time I took the call going, they're going to tell me I haven't got it. And they were like, you've got the job. And I, okay. And then I got off the phone sort of cried for a minute because I've worked so hard for all this stuff. And then a minute later, joy washed away and it was, you're rubbish. You're going to screw this up. What are you doing in a writer's room? It's full of funny people. You're buggered. Uh, and then that was it. In, instant just self-sabotage kicks in and you're going, how am I going to get through this? So yeah. It's, so how do you get over that self-sabotage? You've got to keep talking yourself out of it. It's like conversations with yourself, like you're slightly mad. Um, and I think it was when I got in the room after, like, after a couple of sessions where I was, I'd said nothing. There was a good four hour or five hour gap where I said nothing. Um, in the writer's room I said absolutely subtle because they were all riffing and they were all hilarious and they were all amazing it was are the most writers? welcoming are, about like, are they writers or comedians or is it a mixture of both uh, it was a mixture of both so you had Ramesh you had Sean Pye who's a brilliant writer and has done stand-up I think Phil Balker who's done stand-up and written Phone Shop yeah, and yeah. Sliced uh, Susan Wacoma as well and then Jane Bell the producer who's really funny and Neil Webster script editor who I've written with um, yeah who's amazing and so his mind is just so sharp and quick and i was sat there going what am i doing here <laughs> like, but they're all so lovely that i was it was because you feel that pressure that you have to say something you're not in the moment of actually engaging with people in the actual conversation they're having because you're there the back of my mind's going need to think of something good to say and instead of actually just flowing with it um and that's always been a problem and that's why i think i wanted to get into writing so i could sit behind my computer and hide and then it was like, oh, no, this is a writer's room. Shit. <laughs> what am I going to do in there? Um, but the way over it was just in the end, like the third or fourth day. I just said the rubbish stuff that was in my mind, you know, instead of self-editing, because it led to people laughing. And we all kind of got on as a result of it, knowing that it was a safe space to say terrible ideas. Yeah. Uh, 
I think it's just get over myself really was the thing. Um, was that your first writer's room experience? Like one where I felt like I was, you know, I was a proper, a proper writer, so to speak. Because yeah. um, others were kind of relaxed and I was with their, like a whole group of mates and there was no pressure. Whereas this one was, oh, they're paying me, they're commissioning me. I need to deliver here. You know, it's that pressure of I need to deliver because then will I ever get hired by any of the people in this room again? Um, you know, it's the first step on what could be more opportunities or you go, this is my first and last thing. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, yeah, you've got, I think you just put pressure on yourself. As soon as you get something you want, that's when the pressure kicks in. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You work for ages yeah. to get this thing. You get it and then you yeah. just sort of torture yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what writing is. It becomes just a, a, a process of self-abuse. It's really strange. Like, I don't know how, how do you experience that at all? Do you experience that thing of the ups and downs and like, how do you get over it? Yeah, I do. I, yeah, definitely do. Um, <clears throat> how do I get over it? I'm trying to think. I, well, I haven't had a writer's room experience like that, that as official as yeah. that. Like yeah. on the Wise Vampire, I had a couple of writers that I was working with, but because I was the creator and, yeah. and I started it, it gives, it, it, you know, automatically gives you a bit more leverage. So yeah. you, I didn't really feel, it's a slightly different fit, it's a slightly different uh, dynamic, I guess. Uh, but in terms of um, self-sabotage, for sure, and getting over it, hmm, I don't know. Like, I, I guess simple things really like if I'm just for instance it's, it's more of those moments like if I'm staring at a page a blank page or I just and it's just not coming out it's sort of allowing myself to just get up and go for a walk yeah um, just change change the energy I need to change the energy yeah. sometimes but that's taken me years to work out <laughs> so I just push through and it yeah. just didn't do any good and you just come away at the end of the day and you just feel really shit about yourself <laughs> yeah so, i think yeah that's things like that i guess um but in terms of like yeah also um imposter syndrome yeah i don't know if that ever goes like you hear uh, so many people like so many people who are super successful say the same thing but maybe it's necessary to keep you you know, to to have that edge, right? Like, if you thought, yeah. hey, I'm the best, I'm the funniest writer. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, maybe that wouldn't be such a good thing. No, I think yeah, imposter syndrome. It doesn't feel like something that ever goes away. You just kind of learn to live with it. You see it there. You're like, oh. And I think the only reason it exists is because you're doing something that you care about. Like, I don't get imposter syndrome when I'm working at tech companies because I'm like, this isn't the, this isn't where I want to be throwing myself so yeah i'm happy to stand up in a meeting and talk about stuff i've never done in my life make up some presentation yeah. uh, wink every day and it goes well yeah. yeah when it's something you care about it's like ah, you go into the shell and it's horrible um, when you do those presentations you walk out of the room other colleagues they turn around to each other goes get off mark i bet he never suffers from the imposter syndrome <laughs> super confident that dude it's like he's been doing this for years yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's so weird isn't it <laughs> yeah so what is break down to me then your writing process yeah i guess it's obviously it's different if it's a commission thing yeah if it's your own thing but let's say it's your own project yeah what do you what do you start off with do you start off with developing characters or we 
kick off with plot or do you have a specific process that you sort of you'll put you implement every time uh i have one i try to stick to but you know it depends because sometimes you'll think this is a great idea and then i'll take a step back and go right well who is the character we're experiencing this idea through now let's work on them sometimes i'll go i'm writing about this person because there is so much story in this person they're more on or they've got something really interesting going on um and then i'll focus on that but it will always whether it starts with the the, the wider idea or a character i'll then take a step and just develop character for ages like right. i'll spend now i used to go i've got an idea of a character you know this is someone who's like um maybe you know i had a sitcom where i went right this is going to be about someone who has 35 has a heart attack has to cynical has to change the way they live their life fine i'm gonna go and write it and i wrote a terrible script of it did it awful um then i took a step back and i went now i'm gonna i'm actually gonna do character work and i was on a plane and i did loads of it and loads of it loads of it wrote the script and it got options so my process now is character first like always whether you've got the idea or a character you then focus on character as confusing as that sounds but spend time getting to know them uh, and then the stories start to emerge that way. You go, okay, they can go through this, they go through this. They've got this person in their lives. They've got this person in their lives. Flesh them out a bit. Where's the conflict? So I'm always looking at what is the journey this character's got to go on. So, yeah, and then I'll just drill in. I have questionnaires I do, which are tedious, but they help me because then, you know, when you're writing a script and it all feels very functional, I'll have anecdotes I can pull out to make those functional bits a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, it's like that time this happened or that time that happened and suddenly the characters have history and are more interesting. So I'm always character. I do that for like, if I have, I do that first thing in the morning is all my writing. So I get up five, six, seven, start writing for a few hours. This is obviously when I don't have a day job to go to. Um, by 10, 11, I'm a little bit burnt out. And then I do admin. Do you often get up around five? Uh, when I haven't been doing like before coronavirus, yes, five, six and just get started. But since coronavirus, I've been getting up seven, eight and been very unproductive in that sense. Um, but I find I do my best work before, um, before the emails roll in and before any messages come in. I mean, I even started when I'm just writing, I won't look at emails till after 4 p.m. Like that's the rule I put in and it made things go much because it's easy. I don't know, you know, you can look at your phone, you can look at WhatsApp, you can look at everything. Uh, but it's just to focus because it's very easy when you're writing to get distracted when you hit a little wall. So do you but switch yeah. your phone off as well? I put it on the side on silent. Um, but then I get worried because I'm like, well, what if there's an emergency with my wife or my parents? So then I get guilt and then I'm like, right, I'm going to prop it up against the screen. Um, so it's, it's difficult to get away from these things. Um, but yeah, process wise, it's it, character all the way. And then the story comes from character because it's so easy to just think about structure straight away. And then you're crowbarring someone into a structure and not really getting to know them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, character first. So you mentioned um, you have a questionnaire. What sort of questions will you include in that? Um, it starts with like things I think are core and important. Like what does the character want? You know, you know, you'll read it in hundreds of books of what they want and what they need and what's stopping them and what are they scared of. And then I'll get into stuff about, you know, I don't know how if you see it in a lot of, in a lot of things I write, in a lot of things my mates write, the students write, like a lot of stuff about characters is secondary, like their job. The amount of times I've seen someone as a teacher or a writer is hundreds of times. Um, and it's how I'll look into their class, their height, and how that stuff impacts their view on the world, their race, their physique. You know, because if, if someone is tall, do they act in a certain way? 
to feel authoritative or do they hate the fact they're really tall and does it make them a bit more of like a gentle giant? You know, there's little, every little detail influences how we feel and interact with the world. Mm -hmm. Um, The amount of times I've gone, a stupid character will be funny. um, And then just gone, oh yeah, and they're tall. uh, And then I haven't put any thought into their background and I've just let them exist. So now I, I dig into all of that stuff. I go, you know, what's the time they've been most afraid and why the happiest moment and why first time they thought they were in love and why all those things. So it turns into a little bit of therapy as well with these questionnaires because you have to dig really deep. Um, I was going to ask you that next. So do a lot of those answers then come from personal experiences? Yeah, they do. And, and a lot of experiences because you probably do the same thing is when your mates tell you something, you're like, I'm saving that. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I do a bit of that as well. And, and sometimes I'll try and make stuff up, but obviously, everything we make up is informed by something we've learned somewhere along the way. Um, not, not hundred percent original. So yes, I'll, I'll try and do that. I'll see what suits the character. And cause by the point I get to those questions, I know what they want and I know what kind of journey I'm going to roughly put them on. It yeah. all starts to build into each other. So I start with that core of character and then get into all the other stuff. Um, so yeah. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, If you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. And are you uh, are you a fan of the whole um, write about what you know? Uh, I I am to be honest, but this, I think but that applies when people know something. You know, people have a, an an original, authentic experience to tell. Like I, I what do I know about? I know about like nineties wrestling, PlayStation, and football. No one cares about those things. I'm not going to write about them. Um, those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a script about a 90s wrestler who is now an esports uh, superstar. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but like, yeah, I love researching stuff. I, I write more based on what do I care about at this moment in time? And if it's someone who has to change the way they live their lives in order to, 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 to have a good life. So that, you know, if it's that 35 year old who has a heart attack and is cynical, they have to change they, the way they view the world to make it past 40. I'm interested in exploring that because I gave up, booze what seven years ago and i had to change a lot of my habits so i kind of explore what i'm going through so yeah in a way that was what i knew was how you try and adapt friendships to a new set of circumstances jobs the way your outlook so yeah i'll so in a long roundabout way of waffling through that yes writing what you know i am a fan of is the ultimate conclusion but i like researching stuff as well you know yeah, of course i just i'm just reading the stephen king book on writing oh nice yeah and he took great it's really good. And he talks about the right about what you know. Um, and it's just sort of like, it's not even necessarily a case of like that, of it being that direct. Like you yeah. can write about a fantastical story, but essentially, yeah. like as you were just saying, a lot of some of those characters or stories are inevitably going to come from somewhere that is personally linked to you. Yeah. So that's still in a way writing about what you know to a certain degree. It's yeah. a slight shift in from saying, oh, I'm, I used to be a doctor, so I'm going to write a sitcom about doctors. Yeah, 
Yeah, and also it is that thing, isn't it? It's experiences as opposed to the thing you know loads. Like, wasn't it in that book? Doesn't it? Didn't he have a car accident where his legs got like he was in some a bad way for a while, and then misery is like when a writer gets in a car accident and he can't walk, and then obviously his biggest fan and absolute psycho is looking after him. Um, so that you know, it's like those situations. You go, what's the worst that can happen in this situation? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a lot anecdotal and based on experience. So I, I, do, I do like researching though other lives and talking to people in other fields to write those characters a little bit richer. So if I go, you know, I want to write about a detective, a lot of what they go through will come from my experience, but I then need to talk to a detective to understand the actual day-to-day stuff. And that all the, all the most interesting stuff will come from that. Then my view of what a detective might do in this situation. Um, so yeah, there's, it's a mix, but yeah, obviously what you know, is a unique experience so it comes out more originally in a script and on screen yeah and so do you feel that you need to be watching a lot of what's on tv for research um in terms yeah. you know um uh, i i still call them box sets that's showing my age <laughs> in terms of the box sets <laughs> <laughs> which box sets are you watching at the minute Twenty four. No, um, <laughs> I have finished Succession oh, last night's end of season two, which yeah. is phenomenal, and I'm just coming up to the end of season four of Gamora. Nice. See, I haven't seen Succession, and do you know why? Because everyone's talking about it, and I'm an idiot. So if everyone's talking about something, I take a step back because I go, if I watch it, my annoying brain is just going to try and write something like that. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Like I get, I'm a bit, I get spongy and I absorb stuff. So I try to watch stuff, but I haven't watched a lot of comedy in a while because when you're writing it, the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is watch more of it. I watch like dark, serious stuff, like loads of true crime documentaries. Um, I think a lot lot of people are the same. There's like quite a lot of people I've spoken to, uh, comedy writers or even comedians that just don't enjoy necessarily well they don't enjoy it's just that they want to watch something different I even read an interview with Judd Apatow where he was saying he just he loves watching documentaries and he just doesn't yeah. spend much time watching sitcoms so much yeah I also find documentaries give me ideas for characters whereas yeah. watching another sitcom won't it will just make me go I've seen that before or, oh, I'm going to try and steal that in a way and make it. And, you know, just like, no, stop it. So, you know, documentaries are where I came up with a character that I saw. I saw a character in a documentary made a sitcom based on what he was doing. And that got optioned. Didn't get made, but it got optioned because that character was a real person. And it was so interesting. Um, And then I did loads of research into LARPing and D&D and all of that. And it just opened up a whole world. So, yeah, it's more docs. I should watch stuff because whenever I write on someone else's show, they use reference points and I'm there nodding and smiling and I haven't seen a minute of what they're talking about. Um, well, I'm really bad at that. I was advised by someone just watch an episode of, 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 of like everything that's out there. Just watch, you just need to watch one episode so you have, you know what I mean? You have a reference to when yeah. it brings it up in a writer's room, whatever, go, oh, okay, yeah, at least I know what they're talking about. But then yeah. you get sucked into it, you know? Yeah, and then you watch, yeah, and then you watch the whole box set. And then, yeah. <laughs> But then do you not get the guilt as well? Because I go, well, if I'm watching stuff all the time, I'm not writing. And I can try and justify it saying, but it's research. And the handiest thing I do when watching something, probably actually, is um, I watched an episode of a sitcom and I went, right, I like this show. I like how they tell the stories. 
and I wrote the structure out. So I was like, all right, this is the A story. This character does this, this character. And it just at least gave me a framework to try and see how I'd shape my story and where I needed those dramatic turns and everything. Cause that helped me, but I just, I don't have time. Like I work loads of hours in a day and then I want to spend time with my wife and she's from Brazil. She doesn't like a lot of British comedy. Um, and so I'm not going to sit her in front of something and make her suffer. So we watched crime documentaries and all that instead, because we're both interested in those. But yeah, I'll watch something if it, if I need to, to impress someone, otherwise no. Um, yeah, I won't bother. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. If there is that sort of uh, element of guilt that kicks in. Yeah. I should be I should be writing instead. I put a limit at the moment. I try and say if I'm going to watch something in the evenings, I limit to one episode. And Can you stick to that? Uh, I have been during lockdown mostly, yes. yeah. And then if I want to watch a little bit more on the weekend, I will. But again, I was reading this. Uh, you know, you can sort of read this stuff and then feel really shit about yourself. Yeah. He says he reads. I think he says something like seventy eight to eighty books a year. Okay. I mean, Mate, I read 12 wow. books last year. This year, my target... That's amazing. This, this year, my target's 24, and I'm, and I'm like, just... Wow. I'm on 14 or 15 <sighs> so far. But that is still, like, two books a month. That's insane. But he was breaking it down. He's saying, look, have a book on you at all times. If you're, if you're queuing to go to the shops or whatever, have a book on you. You're on the bog, okay. have a book on you. I mean, it's... But it's, but it's different. Bit he's an author. It's, it's yeah, exactly. slightly different. But... With that being said, I think maybe you might gain more from, maybe not, I don't know, from reading. But no, I'm not talking about just fiction, like nonfiction. I find that I yeah, totally. pick up a lot of stuff from reading nonfiction. Yeah. And also, you know, it is good to expand your own narrow view of things. So read, you know, watch other people put their experiences on TV, read it. But, you know, Stephen King, with all due respect to the master of writing, um, he has a lot of free time to read. Uh, you know, he's not juggling. Uh, three jobs and other things to, to he can sit there and read a book for four hours at a time I'm yeah. a slow reader I don't know whether it's because of the nature of what we do and we're never doing one creative thing we're doing many scattergun everywhere so if yeah. I'm reading I get 10 pages in and I forget and I have to go back so it takes me twice as long to read a book as most people um, so I think if I can I will but I just there's so much shame associated with having not read something having not watched something like I try but tired like i also i write novels and i write with eight years old mate you know you get it i need my naps do you want me to read or have my nap i would rather do the nap um so yeah i mean i'm trying to read i downloaded a book yesterday i read one page this morning and that's probably the last i'm ever going to do like i just i'm done i've started and not finished about 10 books this year the ones i get into are self-help or about writing i'm more interested in that than fiction i find it really difficult to get into fiction which doesn't bode well for me when I'm trying to write fiction as well. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, that, that won't go too well, but yeah, I, it, I don't know. I find there's far too much pressure um, to, to read and watch everything. I think just read and watch the stuff you like and, and you know, get out of your comfort zone from time to time. But then if it's boring, chuck it away. Uh, don't okay. force it. I mean, I, I wanted to read 12 books in one year. I've read half a book this year, half an entire book. And it was a mate, so I was reading it to give him notes. Yeah, but you're writing those, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if that's the justification, then thank you. I'll take that. But yeah, I, yeah, I, think, it, I think it is. You're, yeah. you're busy doing what you set out to do. Yeah. I mean, what are, you, what are you reading at the minute? Are you reading anything decent that you'd recommend? 
Uh, yes, I, I'm reading, do you remember the book? I don't know if you heard of it. It came out about, you probably did. It came out, I think, about 10 years ago. I Am Pilgrim. It was like a... Oh, yeah. yeah. Reading that, really like it. And it's very yes. unlike me to... I, I used to enjoy reading kind of like thriller books. You know, I like the Dan Brown books when they came out. But yeah. it feels like a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really enjoying it. Because it's like, I don't know, like, I feel, I feel like if I want to read something a lot of the time, like you, I don't read loads of fiction. And so yeah. I want it to be of use in a way. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Expand my knowledge or I'm going to get something out of it. Come on, inspired. But this is just a brilliant page turner. Yeah, oh, nice. Um, Natives by Carla. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, awesome. Brilliant. brilliant. And uh, I've been wanting to read that for a while. That's, yeah, he's a super smart dude. Um, yeah, anytime I see a clip of him saying anything, it just hammers you. You're like, oh, wow. He's so articulate with everything he delivers on point. So, yeah. Strong grasp of knowledge, you know, yeah. subject matter. Uh, yeah. that, that was really good. And then obviously, like I said, Stephen King. And then before that, what did I just finish? Amy, Amy Poehler? Amy Poehler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time I pronounce it, <laughs> I have referenced before. Was it Poehler or was it Poehler? <laughs> Anyway, that was uh, fun. Amy P. Amy P. Amy, you know, Amy P. Yeah. Everyone knows who she is. Yes. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm literally looking up my bookshelf as I'm speaking. Nice. It's not yeah. like I'm pondering off into the distance thinking. It is really thoughtful. Just what's, yeah. touched, what's touched my soul recently. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, on the thing of the reading and the watching as well, I think with watching, a problem I have, and I don't know if you get it, is because I spend most of the day like running through structure and scenes in my head that if I watch something, it's got to the point where I see it in script form and it's unbearable. So like someone will say something and I'm envisaging how it was written on the page and I hate myself for doing that. Wow. And it's something I, I find it hard to take that distance from. And I hope you don't do that. And I hope that by me saying it, you don't start doing that. It's just um, not doing that now. And I'm really sorry if that happens the next time you watch something. But yeah, and that's it. And so I don't get that distance between work and, 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 and leisure. And also if I'm watching something for research, I'm not enjoying it, you know, as much. I'm, I'm analysing. Well, I was saying that I did binge watch all of Shit's Creek. Um, I don't know if you've seen Shit's Creek at all. The title put me off watching it, and then it got recommended to me by about eight different people, and I watched it and just fell in love with it because the characters were brilliant. Like, yeah. is, that, is that comedy? I, yeah, it's a comedy. It's really sort of well done. Shit's Creek, you, you would have thought it would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to watch. <laughs> yeah do you find you do that a lot as well you go yeah yeah i have meetings and i know down yeah i'll watch that i'll watch that i'll watch that and then i never look at that page again look this is uh these are scribbles of things that i've <laughs> locked down uh i think yeah look two of them have been crossed out the rest that is, of that's amazing yeah what have been crossed out oh no it's not amazing when i read it out tiger no. king <laughs> and no, i didn't finish it. i didn't finish it i didn't i didn't think it was that great and a brilliant yeah. documentary about Andy Irons, a surfer, uh, which was really, really enjoyable. That was yeah. very good. I love, I love uh, anything to do with surfing. Uh, really? Yeah, I'm a surfer. Oh, nice. I'm never. I'm not good with balance. I can't ride a bike. I can't imagine I'll take to surfing particularly well. Yeah, I was, it takes a while. It does take a while. I've, I've always snowboarded, so oh. uh, it's something that I guess came naturally-ish. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm. I'm not sort of Kelly Slater by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> just barely get up have a wobble around then i fall off but that that sort of five seconds standing up is just glorious yeah nice yeah that's that and that's what i think it would take me about four years to get to that stage so i'm like nah i'm not 
Yeah. <laughs> you calculate how long have I got left to live? How much yeah. time wisely? Four I'll years. Drive left. to the sea, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Um, but what put you off the Tiger King then? Because I binge watched it and then I sort of took a step and went, thinking about it, they're all pretty horrible. I don't want to enjoy this as much as I think I enjoyed it. It's exactly it. There was no redeeming qualities. Yeah. I didn't find any of the characters likable. And there's a thing that Netflix do with these kind of, you know, sensationalized documentaries where you don't, um, there's no satisfaction at the end. Yeah. Because you don't find out, okay, he goes to prison. That's true. You don't find out what happens in a lot of these cases. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way that the animals are treated, I, fa- I just thought it was um, cheap in a way. Yeah. yeah. There, was no, there was no heart or warmth to it. And um, I think particularly during this time, that is, I say that having watched Succession, which doesn't have much heart and warmth. Really? <laughs> it's different. It's scripted and it's brilliant. Yeah. But, I, you know, I've definitely noticed I've had a sort of a, a longing for something more uplifting to a certain degree. Yeah. So I just, yeah. I, I, I think I would, but having said that, I watched three of the, out of the four episodes. <laughs> I watched the last episode. Well, you gave it a good run, to be honest, to, to get that far. And also, you don't have to like the people, but you have to like spending time with them. And that's why yeah. probably Succession, which I haven't watched, but they, you, you, you buy into what they're doing. So you go, I want to see them go through. It's like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They're all horrible characters, but yeah. I love watching them do what they do. Um, I think maybe that's what attracted me to Shit's Creek is that they're all actually it's actually quite nice they're not they're, they're 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 horrible in a way where they're not awful and they're not it doesn't punch down and that's what i kind of like about it yeah um i feel like tiger king it punched down a lot on like joe exotic you're laughing at him a lot of the time and then you go actually he's a little bit sinister so i'm not i'm not that into this anymore like i went from loving it to taking a long hard look at myself <laughs> going i feel bad now um yeah. but yeah and there's loads there's sort of like loads of weird characters uh in that you know sometimes you get a documentary and you get maybe like one is what sort of this antagonist or the, pro- yeah. the, the you know you've got the protagonist and there's a couple of people around there it's just like all oh, this it was just fucking it's a weird world i mean yeah. is that good because it opens your eyes to just you yeah know, that you would nef- ne- never sort of necessarily come across but yeah i just I didn't like didn't didn't leave them with a good feeling yeah like, i think the biggest loser in that whole thing is the animals and exactly and that's, that's not really a nice thing to, to think about. Um, but it's a soundbite that we're going to use. Yeah. <laughs> this is a show all about how much we love animals. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer writing solo or co-writing with somebody? Um, I, I prefer writing solo because I get stuff done. I, okay. The advantage of writing with someone else is it gets me out of my narrow mind. And in all honesty, in a lot of duos I write, I've written in or have or do write in that other person always has funnier ideas because I'm always about like motivation, structure, motivation, structure. Um, so I love that in duos. I love that I can help shape the funnier idea to work and they can take my boring stuff and elevate it to another level. So duos work better for me in terms of the end product solo is better for me in terms of just speed getting stuff out there so yeah that doesn't really answer the question again both have their advantages but i've worked with someone who didn't read stuff or do anything for like four months and i was like this is a waste of my time um i'm quite driven so i need that person to be 
working at a same pace or at least keep contact up enough to go, I'm sorry, I'm really busy for a couple of weeks. Can you pick up the slack? And then that's fine because we have other lives around it. You know, if you write with someone, they have other things they have to look after. So I just want that communicative relationship in a co-writer. And then it's great. Yeah. You know? So, and when you are co-writing, do you tend to sort of do it where you write your bit, they add theirs, and then you go back and forth or you sit together? Um, I think sitting together or doing like a call like this is great over the initial idea, just trying to come up with characters and work, workshop them. But the actual writing of the script, if there's someone looking over my shoulder, yeah. I hate every second. Um, for the Muhammad Ali urban myth that I wrote with Neil Webster, uh, we did research together in a Google Doc separately. The Emmy nominated. Uh, International Emmy nominated. It's like the... <laughs> but no, I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you. In fact, no, I'm not going to talk it down. I'm not going to talk it down. That's something I do. To... Yeah. And, you know, and I learned so much from Neil. He's like, in, if I could write even remotely like him, I'd be like so happy because he's just, he's, his thought process is amazing. And we sort of, I found the story, sent it to him. He drummed it up into a one pager. It got the script commission. And then the way we wrote it is we had a Google doc where we threw ideas in and our research on Muhammad Ali. And we had the story already because it was from a true story, but we had to fill in a lot of blanks. And then we had chats, but when it came to writing, I did the first 10 pages. He went over it, did the second 10 pages. I went over it, but I didn't have to edit any of his stuff, to be honest. And that worked well, but I've done it where one of us will write the whole script with another mate and then the other will go over it. You know, it's just down to whoever has free time. So I don't know. I mean, what I, I, I find, I try to be adaptable so I can work with different kinds of personalities. Um, because I've written with stand-ups who haven't written a script before and I've written with other writers. So you have to adapt to suit the person's strengths um, and to help them through the bits that they're not too confident with. And I don't mind doing that. I'm happy to sacrifice a little bit of my preference to get something better at the end of it um, and something we actually enjoy doing because, you know, it can be quite a, a horrible process if, if no one enjoys it. So, yeah, so I kind of, I find when you're writing actual script do it solo, but all the development work do with someone else and then decide whether you write a scene each, half each, or the whole script and someone else goes over it really. You know, there are some projects, if you're co-writing, you don't want to be the one to write the script the first draft anyway, because you're just not feeling that great about it. So you let the other person do it and go over it. And what, what's the experience like when you are working with stand-ups who have never written a script before? Um, I've got a kind of, I kind of go, what's the story you want to tell? Because that's the thing I want to encourage the most is that the person tells the story they want to tell instead of trying to shape it into something I think it should be like I'll address I'll always I'll basically go who's the character you want to talk about why are they doing the thing they're doing what's the story you want to tell why I ask why a lot and then we get to the heart of what it is and then we go through structure and script so I kind of I end up to a degree when it comes to the mechanical side doing a bit of like coaching in a way um to not sound like a, a prick but it's kind of like a mentory thing and then they come up with all the funny stuff and the stories and the ideas because they just have that way of thinking and then I'll, I'll i'll show them how they need to shape it and which dramatic beats we need to hit while not compromising their kind of vision and sometimes it works out sometimes someone really wants to do thing something this way and we'll send it in and it just won't get picked up because it isn't tv friendly so yeah, so I find the process is just, it's just making sure that we're scrutinizing everything and going, why are we doing this? And is it true to the character and the story you want to tell? So 
it's weird. It, it's quite a tough question to answer because there's no one way to do something, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, and everyone's different. And some people really want to learn the structure stuff and go, let me do this. You're like, great. And other people couldn't give a damn about it. They just want to go, I'm going to say funny stuff and you help me turn it into something that isn't the shambles. And I'm like, all right, great. Yeah. Um, you know, so it works sort of all ways. And what is your end goal? Have you got sort of like a vision of, of you'd be like, if you got to that point, you're like, I've made it. I mean, I hope that point actually exists. Uh, but I think my dream would be to write and teach. I, I love the teaching side of things. I love helping people. Um, and I would love to do that three or four days a week, teach creative writing and then write on the other two. Cause then I'll still be kind of immersed in the writing world. I've been trying to find that balance now with working at a tech company four days a week and writing one day a week, but it's not quite right. Um, cause those other four days I'm a little bit drained from not being involved in doing, but that's the dream, right? Live out far away from London, grow my own food, which will probably not be a successful endeavor and then teach from time to time. That's the, that's the goal, write books, write the stories I want to tell. Um, and do that. that that is the dream how realistic it is i don't know uh but yeah that'd be that'd be what i'm gaming for great and in terms of we talk, we obviously had a conversation about books etc are there any books that have had a big impact on you over the years whether they be writing focused or not there were three three the princess bride brilliantly written novel misery by stephen king page turner and amy go I want to write as concisely as this guy, even in novel form. Uh, but a book that helped me focus what I wanted was um, The Artist's Way uh, yeah. by Julia Cameron. Yeah. And I did that course and, you know, I still do the morning pages from time to time, but, uh, you know, she encourages for anyone who doesn't know about it, this practice of writing three pages by hand in the morning. You just get all the rubbish out of your head, stream of consciousness, um, anything. Even if you're writing, I don't know what I'm supposed to be writing. You do that. Um, I started off difficult uh, in a difficult way by doing it on an A4 notebook. I've now gone down to A5 because it just took like an hour, but it helps because I guess, I don't know. I don't know if you experience it because you have so much negativity in your mind helps get it out onto the page and helps you get into the flow of writing. And I did the 12 week course. I wasn't into the whole looking at creativity as God stuff, but everything else in there was really useful to me. And, um, and that helped me go, I need to cut out booze. I need to stop messing around with with nonsense when you know the thing i want is to write so why am i letting fear stop me from trying to do it by just masking it with all this other stuff that i don't really care about uh so yeah that changed me massively so yeah but you're aware of it by the look on your face when i mentioned it yeah just to be simply because i've been doing the morning pages on and off quite a few years but nice. literally three days ago I, I decided to just do the full course from the beginning because i've never wow. I've never stuck to it. I've never done, yeah. oh, really? you know, I've never like, were you doing like all the, the artist dates? That kind yeah. Of thing? Uh, yes. Yeah. I did all that stuff. I did. Well, no, the, the ones where you go, was it once a week somewhere to, I either managed that for a few of the weeks and then I started working and I was like, oh, right. yeah. So I'm going to try and commit to it properly, but it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Like you do end up just writing negativity. Like, yeah. Wait, yeah. Bullshit is in your mind. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, it's like it's there. It's therapeutic in that respect. Yeah. Today was like uh, today I reached a point. So this is my third day of doing it consistently. Like the last, if I look back, it's sort of like I did one entry last month, and one sort of two weeks before that, very sporadic. Yeah. I mean day three, but 
I don't know whether it's because it was three days in a row or just because I'd run out of complaints to write about. <laughs> today I ended up like literally spending a page and a half writing a poem. Nice. So yeah. you can see like that is obviously yeah. due to sort of the nature of just getting down and writing stuff into a page every day. Yeah, I, I need to get back into it because I'd stopped for a while and because I wanted to get up and just start writing, I was like, I've got to use this time preciously, but yeah. I'm going to get back into it. You know, it's, it's an easy thing not to do, but I think it's so beneficial, especially when you spend so much of the day telling yourself why you're rubbish at something and why you're trying to do it going, this isn't working to go. It's just, just make it part of the process. But yeah, that, that changed my outlook on things. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book about mindset by Carol Dweck. I read that. Yeah. yeah. So far. So I'm, yeah. Good. Trying to catch all that negative mindset stuff. And yeah. It's about uh, having a growth mindset. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I do have a fixed mindset in a lot of respects. So I do need right. to kind of catch it and change it. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's um, good. And then, okay. And then in terms of stuff outside of writing to, to chill out, I want yeah. that's been somewhat limited because of lockdown, but yeah. You, usually you'd be you'd be out splashing around in the, yeah. in the in the fast lane as a slow swimmer oh absolutely yeah i'll be there annoying the people who want to do their marathon uh timed laps uh and then yeah and then football and those are the two things i i, I love they just uh, i like those activities that that switch your mind completely swimming yeah. less so but football i'm running and trying to work out what's going on so my mind gets to just shut away on one thing Swimming, I've started to get into that. And that's the thing I was sort of saying about running. Um, some people hit that point where you're just focusing on that. And that's, those are the two activities where I can find it. But, you know, as, as I'm getting old, I'm not going to be able to play football much longer. So I need to find something else to, to do that. But, yeah, it'll be cinema or swimming and, swimming and football. Those are the things that I, I love doing. And gardening now because I'm old, picking weeds. Getting into the gardening is therapy. Yeah. Yeah, it's annoying, but therapeutic at the same time. Yeah. My equivalent of that is just get, I get plants in, in nice, yeah. and I have to just remember to try and water them. Yeah, we can't. We, they just perish all the time. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a serial plant killer. Yeah, I'm not ready to be a parent if this is how I treat plants. So, yeah, but I'm going to, you know, mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm quite simple, to be honest now. I, think, I, don't, I don't need very much to be happy. I just like to do something that I feel satisfied by creatively and then spend some time with my wife and I'm kind of done. Do you think that's largely to do with the fact that you found your, your calling, you know what it is that you, you want to be doing with your life and you're doing it. And so that takes away the need to fill up your time doing loads of different stuff. Um, I guess so. But at the same time I got, I spent so many years trying to get into writing comedy, but then I want to write books and drama more than I want to do sitcoms now. So I'm still okay. not really doing what I want, but I now, my creative outlet is the, the novels because I get to just do what I want with them. And then I hire an editor, a cover designer, a proofreader, and I get them out there. Um, and I think that gives me creative satisfaction around stuff that pays the bills. But I think I'm just more content. I don't, I don't feel the need to have loads of things and do loads of things and, and, you know, and to, to keep on, developing and developing and developing because like if you're just constantly trying to develop then you just die like at what point do you go i've done every i've developed and now i can just chill you're going i keep i've got to learn something new and new and new oh now i'm dead so i don't know i've got to put i don't want to have to keep learning i want to get better at what i do but i've taken the pressure off where i go 
yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not going to just read everything I can and fill my mind because ju I'll just go nuts. And then I think the pressure increases. So, but I think you have to be, you have to, you know, I've got a job that lets me have that distance from things. I think when there's financial pressure, then you're just obviously having to just do everything all the damn time because you're trying to make money to keep going. So I think because, because I've been working, I can take that step back. But then as soon as I lose one of those jobs, I'm going to be back to constantly developing and going mad and trying to write everything I can and, and, and lose it also. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's tricky, but. When you were saying um, about, you know, trying to sort of cram in and, and l learn everything. Yeah. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. He's a bit of a Carl Pilkington type character. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe he mentioned something I was reading. I'm not sure how it came up. And he just turned around to me and he, sort of, he said, um, you know, knowing too much is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, <laughs> way, he kind of had a point, though, like... You know, yeah. he, he's sort of like of quite a simple <laughs> person. Not as in yeah. like simple, but he's also quite straightforward in that respect. He knows what he likes. He likes what he knows. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't <laughs> distract himself from knowing unnecessary, well, to him, is things that are unnecessary. Yeah. Sort of, I don't know, shape his everyday existence. Yeah, because I think, I don't like, there's, there's stuff I want to know to handle certain situations and to catch myself being miserable and negative because i'm quite a, a cynical person but then there's stuff i just go if i if i start reading about all the conspiracy theories in the world if i start <laughs> reading about how rubbish capitalism is all the time then i'm just going to go i'm essentially living in a prison waiting to perish so the, it is true the more you know the more you question things and start to hate things so i think i i, I when i feel myself start to slip i'll find another self-help book and i'll read it and i'll learn and i'll be happy and then i go i'm all right for now now i've got enough I've, I've got enough stuff that makes me annoyed and that I question. I've got enough stuff I think I know to counteract it. If I go and seek more, I'm just going to unearth more things I dislike. So, yeah, I kind of see that point to a degree. And I don't know. I'm a, I'm a slow learner as well. So I'm never going to be at a point where I feel like I know too much. Too much, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. What, did, what did it make you think when he said that? At first, I was, I was like, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you small-minded simpleton. Yeah. yeah. But then I thought about it after. I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe he's got a point. Maybe he's got it right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Ignorance is bliss. You know, they do say that. And it, it can it be, well, to sad. some degree. You don't want to be totally ignorant. Yeah. But I think there are some things. I'm trying. I don't really have an example. But there are some things you probably, if you think about it long enough, you go, I wish I didn't know that. You know, I'm sure there are some examples. Um, well, like your classic example is like you were saying, when you look at, when you watch a sitcom now, yeah, imagining yeah. the words being written on a page. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some, sometimes I wish I didn't, I, I didn't study the amount I studied so that I could just enjoy, like even I've spoiled, so I've spoiled TV for Cynthia. Like I would watch, I would watch TV with her and she'd be there kind of like open mouthed at this shocking moment. And I'm sat there like a miserable git. And then I'd say to her, this thing's going to happen next. And nine times out of ten, it happens. And now yeah. she started doing it. And I feel so bad. Like, I've ruined her enjoyment of entertainment. I'm a terrible husband. But, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing where I don't want to be that guy who watches something and is bitter because he's not written it. Going, this is going to happen next. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've stripped her of her TV innocence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's so bad. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stop doing that. Yeah. And that's why documentaries, I don't see things in that form because it's not, it, there is a narrative, but 
it's not and it's not it's not the kind of narratives i write so i don't see it in that form yeah you know, like yeah. the last dance you could easily start going i oh, then they've done the flashback here and, and, and like, <laughs> just enjoying it yeah, yeah. great documentary i enjoyed that phenomenal yeah i was sad that, when that was over i was like that was uplifting yeah exactly it was great like i i, I you know scotty pippin's voice as well just it's a thing of beauty you just want him to read bedtime stories like, it's lovely but he'll it, it, be on the car map in no time <laughs> and that's the thing like Cynthia loved it as well and she has no interest in basketball but it was just a brilliantly told story yeah it was well that's just sort of like a, it's a universal story isn't it of yeah. someone just going all in being yeah. your own winning I but, mean he's obviously a bit of an arsehole to his yeah. teammates but that just came in the territory I think yeah but did it did it make you feel guilty because it made me feel guilty yes. that I'm not as dedicated to what I do as he is to that it made me feel guilty for my shocking basketball skills. <laughs> no, but I think, I do think it's different with sports to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. you can't, obviously, you. there is a work ethic there. Yeah. But I think there's something, I don't know, it is different. Yeah. It is different. Like, you can write all day and all night, but you need a break. You need to go out in the world. You need to experience the world and get inspiration from things you know things need to happen in your life in order to have things to write yeah 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 you go you you can be in the gym four hours a day then you can be on the basketball court all those things are going to help you become a better basketball player you can't That's use true. the same excuse oh in order to be a better basketball player i need to go out into the world <laughs> <laughs> that's true you can sit there for 10 hours just firing shots exactly yeah in a way now now in a way like i think i would that i would like because that yeah. is in a way a simple existence take away all the media pressures that come with yeah. just knowing that all i need to do is just get better at this thing yeah like, yeah that's it. i can try you know, and, and and by doing it i get fitter as well so you're looking after two things at once my career and my health because writing and health don't always go necessarily hand in hand mental and physical health it can take its toll where you go i need to do some exercise today but oh but i haven't done this scene so i need to work on it a little bit longer and then you're depressed and then you just go to sleep um, so it's, you know, with basketball, it's like, well, I'm training to get better at shooting and these plays and I'm getting fit. I yeah. would quite happily be a mediocre sports person. Like I wouldn't have to be the best, just really mediocre. I'd be like, got a great life. Yeah. Playing for Leighton Orient on a Saturday. Yeah. There you go. go home after the game. You're knackered. <gasps> watch a bit of TV, go to bed, yeah. wake up training the next day. Yeah. And I said, you train for what? Three, four hours a day. It's an all right life, isn't it? Yeah. Don't have to chase work. No. We need to write a sitcom about a mediocre player for playing for Leighton Orient. <laughs> then gets famous and doesn't want it. <laughs> yeah. This is not what I got into this for. <laughs> yeah. Game or two be average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets based for England. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, look, this has been, uh, it's been a very enjoyable conversation. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on. I wanted to. I want to finish off asking you what. Oh, actually, before I do that, sorry, I'm going to pause for a second. You have a book out at the moment about developing characters. Yes, lovely segue. <laughs> yeah, seamless, wasn't it? Wasn't that, that was, uh, brilliant? I, I could have chosen any. I could have chosen the moment we were talking about character development. <laughs> I decided to choose the most unnatural <laughs> point in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I put, I put a book together because I've read loads of books on structure and 
It taught me how to pick something apart and analyze it. Didn't help me developing my idea from scratch. And my biggest weakness was character. I'd always rush into a thing. So I've written a book with exercises and theory on why character is important, obviously, which most people know, but how to develop them before you jump into writing so that you don't end up having to do 55 drafts of something. Um, and I hate creative writing books where there are so many references and they make me feel bad because I haven't seen them. Um, so with these references, even if you haven't seen them, it doesn't matter because I do examples of me doing the exercises so you can see the process in action as well. Um, but yeah, I wrote it more just because I wanted to help people out and I wanted to do it at a point where I had credibility, where I'd written some stuff on telly and where I'd had an award nominations and stuff where I'm like, look, I, I sort of know what I'm talking about. I think to a degree, like no one really does just, just experience. And here is a process that you can make your own. Um, but people found it helpful. I had a review from a teacher who really liked it. And that was the biggest kind of um, validation for me. A teacher, I don't know. Someone in America went, I'm a teacher and I read this and I love it. And I agreed with 90%. And there was one bit that made me angry. <laughs> but yeah, it's just from noticing my own weaknesses, weaknesses in student scripts. And I read a lot of scripts and going, okay, well, what made this amazing? And it is the character ahead of story. So yeah, it's, it's there. It's out on all the, the vendors, Amazon, Kobo and whatnot. But yeah, cool. thank you for plugging that. Uh, the Craft of Character, incredibly boring name. But I listen to my editor because she is right. So I have to listen to my editor. It's catchy. It's catchy. Yeah, yes. Um, but <laughs> no. Yeah, well, he's very right. <laughs> that's, the, that's when I've made it. <laughs> You're in a goatee. Yeah, that's when you know I've made it, when I feel confident in myself enough to wear a beret and have a goatee. Yeah, well... I, I wait in anticipation. <laughs> we'll have another conversation uh, yeah. on Zoom. I, I imagine you're going to have sort of uh, classical paintings in the background. There'll be a mandolin. I don't know why a mandolin, but that'll <laughs> be in the wall. You just play that. <laughs> I don't play to learn. I play to play. I don't know what the accent you've got. This accent now. You've... Yeah, I mean, thanks. Thanks for that. I'm... <laughs> I'm glad that's how you see me though. That was far more, far more kind of uh, masculine than I am. So. Yeah, that was, and there we go. That's character development. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, You're like what's missing in this character? He's just his voice is rubbish. I'm going to give him a better voice. <laughs> but yeah, I mean those those things are so so far removed from. I, th I think to be honest, if even if I got my own series away and everything, just be still. I'll still be wearing the same blue t-shirts I wear. <laughs> That's all I want. I just want a nice, peaceful existence. That's all it is for me now. That's good. I can live my existence on Zoom and on emails. I'm fine. Um, you know, the world that's going to exist post-COVID uh, is going to be much more adaptable and, and um, au fait and with, with doing with yeah. via Zoom. You're not going to need to necessarily have meetings face-to-face, -face, yeah. which, which it's proven over the last few months that it's not, it's not necessary. Obviously, there's a certain chemistry and a vibe when you are with someone, particularly when it comes to creativity, but it can still be done like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's fine. We, we're, we're adaptable. We always find ways to work. So I think, I think it's just finding what people are comfortable with and let them do it because that's, that's when people give their best is when they're happy. So let yeah. it happen. For me, working from home, um, not having to get on the tube, and I'm, that's all I need, and then I'm good. So then that's when I can that's when I can perform without stress. Um, Cause yeah. I'm pretty sure that's getting the tube was how I got COVID. So I'm like, avoid it. Avoid you that. had it, didn't you? 
yeah yeah well it wasn't enjoyable i feel like it's a whole nother conversation I yeah yeah <laughs> earlier i'm gonna leave it there um yeah <laughs> I was glad to see you healthy and thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay as i was saying before uh i went yeah. on that beautiful seamless segue um, <laughs> thank you what does the idea of balance mean to you or not uh, balance for me is being happy with what you have because that I imagine is when I feel balanced because I go I don't need to chase anything else you know as in as in look for more and keep reaching for more that to me is balance um, yeah which I don't right. know <laughs> it's, it's a very it's what it is now yeah, yeah. might be yeah. different next week but that's how I feel right now great great okay yeah. all right thank you and um, is there uh, anywhere that people can find out more about Mark Boutros? Um, I've got my website, which is mark-boutros.com. Um, and that's kind of it. I don't really, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not huge at promoting myself or anything like that. So yeah, but that's, that's where I'll find, I write, I give, I put writing advice on there. Um, and, 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 and then share that with people who are interested. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I exist. Great. All right. Nice Thank one. Thanks so much, mate. Cheers. So there we have it. The words of a proper writer, Mark Boutros there. Just giving you, I mean, you're getting your money's worth, aren't you? I mean, it's not that you, you're not, you're not paying any money for whatsoever. But if you were, you'd be getting your money's worth, wouldn't you? You know, there's, there's a lot of information there. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that episode it was great chatting to mark and diving in deep to his whole writing process so i've decided to up the ante and do a bit of uh, rebranding on the podcast it's about time i am very lazy when it comes to social media if you hadn't noticed already so i'm going to do a little bit of rebranding i think i'm going to launch a, an instagram page specifically for the podcast and perhaps you know, do some clips, some some clickbait clips. Although I feel that we don't really discuss, it's not sort of a controversial, you know, talking about creativity. I don't know how I can turn it into clickbait. So yeah, maybe not clickbait, but anyway, just sort of, you know how on podcasts they have the, uh, they have a big title at the beginning, how, how such and such went from rags to riches, and then a little a video and i don't know why i'm describing to this you already know you know what i'm talking about so anyway I'm, I'm 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 slowly very slowly working at a very slow pace trying to get that in place so we can uh give a whole give a whole rebrand maybe we do sort of an audio rebrand launch party i don't know what that involved but yeah sure why not so uh that's it from me and next week we will have a lovely episode, a, a very vast conversation with the founder of Angel Comedy, Barry Ferns. So do stay tuned for that one next week. I feel like saying stay tuned is sort of like an out of date phrase, isn't it? So like It's not like radio we used to do is just listen to it because you just get it subscribed. But anyway, uh, I will think of a suitable phrase to replace that one with. And until next time... You take care out there, okay? That was genuine. I mean, that was a very sort of genuinely heartfelt. Yes, and until the next time, see you later.
Balancing Acts is now made in association with the Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a, a two-minute video one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 